Section 26 of Smithsonian Institution, United States National Museum. Bulletin 240, Contributions from the Museum of History and Technology. Papers 34 through 44 on Science and Technology by Museum of History and Technology. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Paper 44. Development of Gravity Pendulums in the 19th Century by Victor F. Lenzen and Robert P. Multow. The history of gravity pendulums dates back to the time of Galileo. After the discovery of the variation of the force of gravity over the surface of the Earth, gravity measurement became a major concern of physics and geodesy. This article traces the history of the development of instruments for this purpose. The Authors Victor F. Lenzen is Professor of Physics Emeritus at the University of California at Berkeley, and Robert P. Multow is Chairman of the Department of Science and Technology in the Smithsonian Institution's Museum of History and Technology. Figure 1 A study of the figure of the Earth was one of the earliest projects of the French Academy of Science. In order to test the effects of the Earth's rotation on its gravitational force, the Academy in 1672 sent Jean Richer to the equatorial island of Cayenne to compare the rate of a clock which was known to have kept accurate time in Paris. Richer found that the clock lost 2 minutes and 28 seconds at Cayenne, indicating a substantial decrease in the force of gravity on the pendulum. Subsequent pendulum experiments revealed that the period of a pendulum varied not only with a latitude, but also regionally under the influence of topographical features such as mountains. It became clear that the measurement of gravity should be made a part of the work of the geodetic surveyor. The intensity of gravity, or the acceleration of a freely falling body, is an important physical quality for the several physical sciences. The intensity of gravity determines the weight of a standard pound or kilogram as a standard or unit of force. In physical experiments, the force on a body may be measured by determining the weight of a known mass, which serves to establish equilibrium against it. Thus, in the absolute determination of the amper with a current balance, the force between two coils carrying current is balanced by the Earth's gravitational force upon a body of determinable mass. The intensity of gravity enters into determinations of the size of the Earth from the angular velocity of the Moon its distance from the Earth, and Newton's inverse square law of gravitation, and the laws of motion. Prediction of the motion of an artificial satellite requires an accurate knowledge of gravity for this astronomical problem. The gravity field of the Earth also provides data for determination of the figure of the Earth, or geoid. But for this problem of geodesy, relative values of gravity are sufficient. If g is the intensity of gravity at some reference station and delta g is the difference between intensities at two stations, the values of gravity in geodetic calculations enter as ratios, delta g over g, over the surface of the Earth. Gravimetric investigations in conjunction with other forms of geophysical investigation, such as seismology, furnish data to test hypotheses concerning the internal structure of the Earth. Whether the intensity of gravity is sought in absolute or relative measure, the most widely used instrument for its determination since the creation of classical mechanics has been the pendulum. In recent decades, there have been invented gravity meters based upon the principle of the spring 
and these instruments have made possible the rapid determination of relative values of gravity to a high degree of accuracy. The gravity meter, however, must be calibrated at stations where the absolute value of gravity has been determined by other means, if absolute values are sought. For absolute determinations of gravity, the pendulum historically has been the principal instrument employed. Although alternative methods of determining absolute values of gravity are now in use, the pendulum retains its value for absolute determinations, and even retains it for relative determinations, as is exemplified by the Cambridge Pendulum apparatus and that of the Dominion Observatory at Ottawa, Ontario. The pendulums employed for absolute or relative determinations of gravity have been of two basic types. The first form of pendulum, used as a physical instrument, consisted of a weight suspended by a fiber, cord, or fine wire, the upper end of which was attached to a fixed support. Such a pendulum may be called a simple pendulum. The enclosure of the word simple by quotation marks is to indicate that such a pendulum is an approximation to a simple or mathematical pendulum, a conceptual object which consists of a mass point suspended by a weightless, inextensible cord. If L is the length of the simple pendulum, the time of swing, the half period in the sense of physics, for vibrations of infinitely small amplitude, as derived from Newton's laws of motion and the hypothesis that weight is proportional to mass, is T equals pi over the square root of L over G. The second form of pendulum is the compound or physical pendulum. It consists of an extended solid body which vibrates about a fixed axis under the action of the weight of the body. A compound pendulum may be constituted to oscillate about one axis only, in which case it is non-reversible and applicable only for relative measurements. Or a compound pendulum may be constituted to oscillate about two axes in which case it is reversible or convertible and may be used to determine absolute values of gravity. Captain Henry Cater, Fellow of the Royal Society during the years 1817 to 1818, was the first to design, construct, and use a compound pendulum for the absolute determination of gravity. He constructed a convertible pendulum with two knife edges, and with it, determined the absolute value of the gravity at the house of Henry Brown, Fellow of the Royal Society, in Portland Place, London. He then constructed a similar compound pendulum with only one knife edge and swung it to determine relative values of gravity for a number of stations in the British Isles. The 19th century witnessed the development of the theory and practice of observations with pendulums for the determination of absolute and relative values of gravity. Galileo, Huygens, and Newton. The pendulum has been both an objective and an instrument of physical investigation since the foundations of classical mechanics were fashioned in the 17th century. It is tradition that the youthful Galileo discovered that the period of oscillation of a pendulum is constant by observations of the swings of the great lamp suspended from the ceiling in the Cathedral of Pisa. The lamp was only a rough approximation to a simple pendulum, but Galileo later performed more accurate experiments with a simple pendulum, which consisted of a heavy ball 
suspended by a court. In an experiment designed to confirm his laws of falling bodies, Galileo lifted the ball to the level of a given altitude and released it. The ball ascended to the same level on the other side of the vertical equilibrium position, and thereby confirmed a prediction from the laws. Galileo also discovered that the period of vibration of a simple pendulum varies as the square root of its length, a result which is expressed by the formula for the time of swing of the ideal simple pendulum. He also used a pendulum to measure lapse of time, and he designed a pendulum clock. Galileo's experimental results are important historically, but have required correction in the light of subsequent measurements of greater precision. Mersenne, in 1644, made the first determination of the length of the seconds pendulum, that is, the length of a simple pendulum that beats seconds, half period in the sense of physics. Subsequently, he proposed the problem to determine the length of the simple pendulum equivalent in period to a given compound pendulum. The problem was solved by Huygens, who in his famous work Horologium Oscillatorium in 1673 set forth the theory of the compound pendulum. Huygens derived a theorem which has provided the basis for the employment of the reversible compound pendulum for the absolute determination of the intensity of gravity. The theorem is that a given compound pendulum possesses conjugate points on opposite sides of the center of gravity. About these points, the periods of oscillation are the same. For each of these points, as center of suspension, the other point is the center of oscillation, and the distance between them is the length of the equivalent simple pendulum. Earlier in 1657, Huggins independently had invented and patented the pendulum clock, which rapidly came into use for the measurement of time. Huggins also created the theory of centripetal force, which made it possible to calculate the effect of the rotation of the Earth upon the observed value of gravity. The theory of the gravity field of the Earth was founded upon the laws of motion and the law of gravitation by Isaac Newton in his famous Principia in 1687. It follows from the Newtonian theory of gravitation that the acceleration of gravity, as determined on the surface of the Earth, is the resultant of two factors. The principal factor is the gravitational attraction of the Earth upon bodies, and the subsidiary factor is the effect of the rotation of the Earth. A body at rest on the surface of the Earth requires some of the gravitational attraction for the centripetal acceleration of the body as it is carried in a circle with constant speed by the rotation of the Earth about its axis. If the rotating Earth is used as a frame of reference, the effect of the rotation is expressed as a centrifugal force, which acts to diminish the observed intensity of gravity. Glossary of Gravity Terminology Absolute Gravity The value of the acceleration of gravity also expressed by the length of the second's pendulum. The second's pendulum, a theoretical or simple pendulum of such length that its time of swing, or half period, is one second. This length is about one meter. Relative gravity, the value of the acceleration of gravity relative to the value at some standard point. Simple pendulum, see theoretical pendulum. Theoretical pendulum, a heavy bob, 
point mass at the end of a weightless rod. Gravity pendulum, a precisely made pendulum used for the measurement of gravity. Compound pendulum, a pendulum in which the supporting rod is not weightless, in other words, any actual pendulum. Convertible pendulum, a compound pendulum having knife edges at different distances from the center of gravity. Huggins demonstrated in 1673 that if such a pendulum were to swing with equal periods from either knife edge, the distance between those knife edges would be equal to the length of a theoretical or simple pendulum of the same period. Reversible pendulum, a convertible pendulum which is also symmetrical in form. Invariable pendulum, a compound pendulum with only one knife edge used for relative measurement of gravity. From Newton's laws of motion and the hypothesis that weight is proportional to mass, the formula for the half period with a simple pendulum is given by t equals pi times the square root of the value of L over G. If a simple pendulum beats seconds, one equals pi times the square root of lambda over G, where lambda is the length of the seconds pendulum. From t equals pi times the square root of L over G and one equals pi times the square root of lambda over G, it follows that lambda equals L over T squared. Then G equals pi squared lambda. Thus the intensity of gravity can be expressed in terms of the length of the seconds pendulum, as well as by the acceleration of a freely falling body. During the 19th century, gravity usually was expressed in terms of the length of the seconds pendulum, but present practice is to express gravity in terms of g, for which the unit is the gal, or one centimeter per second per second. Figure of the Earth A principal contribution of the pendulum as a physical instrument has been the determination of the figure of the earth. That the earth is spherical in form was accepted doctrine among the ancient Greeks. Pythagoras is said to have been the first to describe the earth as a sphere, and this view has been adopted by Eudoxus and Aristotle. The Alexandrian scientist Eratosthenes made the first estimate of the diameter and circumference of a supposedly spherical earth by an astronomical geodetic method. He measured the angle between the directions of the rays of the sun at Alexandria and Sien, Aswan, Egypt, and estimated the distance between these places from the length of time required by a caravan of camels to travel between them. From the central angle corresponding to the arc on the surface, he calculated the radius and hence the circumference of the earth. A second measurement was undertaken by Poseidonius, who measured the altitude of stars at Alexandria and Rhodes and estimated the distance between them from the time required to sail from one place to the other. With the decline of classical antiquity, the doctrine of the spherical shape of the earth was lost, and only one investigation, that by the Arabs under Caliph al-Mamun in AD 827, is recorded until the 16th century. In 1525, the French mathematician Fernel measured the length of a degree of latitude between Paris and Amiens by the revolutions of the wheels of his carriage, the circumference of which he had determined. In England, Norwood in 1635 measured the length of an arc between London and New York with a chain, 
an important step forward in geodesy was the measurement of distance by triangulation first by tycho brahe in denmark and later in 1615 by Willebrord Snell in Holland. Of historic importance was the use of telescopes in the triangulation for the measurement of a degree of arc by the Abbe Jean Picard in 1669. He had been commissioned by the newly established Academy of Sciences to measure an arc corresponding to an angle of one degree, 22 minutes, 55 seconds, of the meridian between Amiens and Melvoisine near Paris. Picard proposed to the Academy the measurement of the meridian of Paris through all of France, and this project was supported by Colbert, who obtained the approval of the king. In 1684, Giovanni Domenico Cassini and Delahiri commenced a trigonometrical measure of an arc south of Paris. Subsequently, Jacques Cassini, the son of Giovanni Domenico, added to the arc the north of Paris. The project was completed in 1718. The length of a degree of arc south of Paris was found to be greater than the length north of Paris. From the difference, 57,097 toises minus 56,960 toises was concluded that the polar diameter of the Earth is larger than the equatorial diameter. That is, the Earth is a prolate spheroid. Meanwhile, Richer, in 1672, had been sent to Cayenne, French Guiana, to make astronomical observations and to measure the length of the seconds pendulum. He took with him a pendulum clock, which had been adjusted to keep accurate time in Paris. At Cayenne, however, Richer found that the clock was retarded by two minutes and twenty-eight seconds per day. He also fitted up a simple pendulum to vibrate in seconds, and measured the length of this second's pendulum several times every week for ten months. Upon his return to Paris, he found that the length of the simple pendulum, which beat seconds at Cayenne, was one and one-quarter Paris lines shorter than the length of the second's pendulum at Paris. Huggins explained the reduction in the length of second's pendulum, and therefore the lesser intensity of gravity at the equator with respect to the value at Paris, in terms of his theory of centripetal force as applied to the rotation of the Earth and pendulum. A more complete theory was given by Newton in the Principia. Newton showed that if the Earth is assumed to be a homogeneous, mutually gravitating fluid globe, its rotation will result in a bulging at the equator. The Earth will then have the form of an oblate spheroid, and the intensity of gravity as a form of universal gravitation will vary with position on the surface of the Earth. Newton took into account gravitational attraction and centrifugal action, and he calculated the ratio of the axes of the spheroid to be 230 to 229. He calculated and prepared a table of the lengths of degree of latitude and of the seconds pendulum for every five degrees of latitude from the equator to the pole. A discrepancy between his predicted length of the seconds pendulum at the equator and Richer's measured length, was explained by Newton in terms of the expansion of the scale, with higher temperatures near the equator. Newton's theory that the Earth is an oblate spheroid was confirmed by the measurements of Richer, but was rejected by the Paris Academy of Sciences, for it contradicted the results of the Cassinis, father and son, whose measurements of arc to the south and north of Paris had led to the conclusion that the Earth is a prolate spheroid. 
Thus a controversy arose between the English sciences and the Paris Academy. The conflict was finally resolved by the results of expeditions sent by the Academy to Peru and Sweden. The first expedition, under Bouguer, La Condamine, and Godin, in 1735, went to a region in Peru, and, with the help of the Spaniard Ulo, measured a meridian arc of about three degrees seven minutes near Quito, now in Ecuador. The second expedition, with Maupertois and Clairot in 1736, went to Lapland within the Arctic Circle and measured an arc of about one degree in length. The northern arc of one degree was found to be longer than the Peruvian arc of one degree, and thus it was confirmed that the Earth is an oblate spheroid, that is, flattened at the poles, as predicted by the theory of Newton. Figure 3. Measurements of the length of a degree of latitude, which were completed in different parts of France in 1669 and 1718, gave differing results, which suggested that the shape of the Earth is not a sphere, but a prolate spheroid. But Richet's pendulum observation of 1672, as explained by Huggins and Newton, indicated that its shape is that of an oblate spheroid. The disagreement is reflected in the drawing. In the 1730s, it was resolved in favor of the latter view by two French geodetic expositions for the measurement of degrees of latitude in the equatorial and polar regions, Ecuador, then part of Peru, and Lapland. Figure 4. The direct use of a clock to measure the force of gravity was found to be limited in accuracy by the necessary mechanical connection of the pendulum to the clock and by the unavoidable difference between the characteristics of a clock pendulum and those of a theoretical, usually called simple pendulum, in which the mass is concentrated in the bob and the supporting rod is weightless. After 1735, the clock was used only to time the swing of a detached pendulum by the method of coincidences. In this method, invented by J.J. Mehran, the length of the detached pendulum is first accurately measured, and the clock is corrected by astronomical observation. The detached pendulum is then swung before the clock pendulum, as shown here. The two pendulums swing more or less at a phase, coming into coincidence each time one has gained a vibration. By counting the number of coincidences over several hours, the period of the detached pendulum can be very accurately determined. The length of the period of the detached pendulum are the data required for the calculation of the force of gravity. The period from Eratosthenes to Picard has been called the spherical era of geodesy. The period from Picard to the end of the 19th century has been called the ellipsoidal period. During the latter period, the Earth was conceived to be an ellipsoid, and the determination of its ellipsicity, that is, the difference of equatorial radius and polar radius divided by the equatorial radius, became an important geodetic problem. A significant contribution to the solution of this problem was made by determinations of gravity by the pendulum. An epic-making work during the ellipsoidal era of geodesy was Clairaut's treatise Thierry de la Figure de la Terre, on the hypothesis that the Earth is a spheroid of equilibrium, that is, such that a layer of water would spread all over it, and that the internal density varies so that layers of equal density are coaxial spheroids, Clairaut derived a historic theorem, 
If epsilon e and epsilon p are the values of gravity at the equator and pole respectively, and c the centrifugal force at the equator divided by epsilon e, then the ellipticity alpha equals five halves times c minus the quantity of epsilon p minus epsilon e over epsilon e. Laplace showed that the surfaces of equal density might have any nearly spherical form, and Stokes showed that it is unnecessary to assume any law of density as long as the external surface is a spheroid of equilibrium. It follows from Clairaut's theorem that if the Earth is an oblate spheroid, its ellipticity can be determined from relative values of gravity, and the absolute value at the equator, involved in C. Observations with non-reversible, invariable compound pendulums have contributed to the application of Clairaut's theorem in its original and contemporary extended form for the determination of the figure and gravity field of the Earth. Early Types of Pendulums The pendulum employed in observations of gravity prior to the 19th century usually consisted of a small weight suspended by a filament, figures 4 and 6. Figure 6 the result of early pendulum experiments was often expressed in terms of the length of a pendulum which would have a period of one second, and was called the seconds pendulum. In 1792, J.C. Borda and J.D. Cassini determined the length of the seconds pendulum at Paris with this apparatus. The pendulum consists of a platinum ball about one and a half inches in diameter, suspended by a fine iron wire. The length of about 12 feet was such that its period would be nearly twice as long as that of a pendulum of the clock A. The interval between coincidences was determined by observing, through the telescope at the left, the times when the two pendulums emerged together from behind the screen. The exact length of the pendulum was measured by a platinum scale, not shown, equipped with a vernier and an auxiliary copper scale for temperature correction. When, at the end of the 18th century, the French revolutionary government established the metric system of weights and measures, the length of the seconds pendulum at Paris was considered but not adopted as the unit of length. The pioneer experimenters with simple pendulums changed the length of the suspension until the pendulum beat seconds. Picard, in 1669, determined the length of the seconds pendulum at Paris with a simple pendulum which consisted of a copper ball, an inch in diameter, suspended by a fiber of pite from jaws. Pite was a preparation of the leaf of a species of aloe and was not affected appreciably by moisture. A celebrated set of experiments with a simple pendulum was conducted by Bouguer in 1737 in the Andes as part of the expedition to measure the Peruvian arc. The bob of the pendulum was a double truncated cone and the length was measured from the jaw suspension to the center of the oscillation of the thread and bob. Bouguer allowed for change of length of his measuring rod with temperature, and also for the buoyancy of the air. He determined the time of swing by an elementary form of the method of coincidences. The thread of the pendulum was swung in front of a scale, and Bouguer observed how long it took the pendulum to lose a number of vibrations on the seconds clock. For this purpose, he noted the time when the beat of the clock was heard and, simultaneously, the thread moved past the center of the scale. 
a historic aspect of Bouguer's method was that he employed an invariable pendulum, that is, the length was maintained the same at the various stations of observation, a procedure that has been described as having been invented by Bouguer. Since t equals pi times L over g, it follows that t1 squared over t2 squared equals g2 over g1. Thus, if the absolute value of gravity is known at one station, the value at any other station can be determined from the ratio of the squares of times of swing of an invariable pendulum at the two stations. From the above equation, if t1 is the time of swing at a station where the intensity of gravity is g, and t2 is the time at a station where the intensity is g plus delta g, then delta g over g equals t1 squared over t2 squared minus 1. Bouguer's investigations with his invariable pendulum yielded methods for the determination of the internal structure of the Earth. On the Peruvian expedition, he determined the length of the seconds pendulum at three stations, including one at Quito, at varying distances above sea level. If values of gravity at stations of different elevation are to be compared, they must be reduced to the same level, usually to sea level. Since gravity decreases with height above sea level, in accordance with the law of gravitation, a free air reduction must be applied to values of gravity determined above the level of the sea. Bouguer originated the additional reduction for the increase in gravity on a mountain or plateau caused by the attraction of the matter in a plate. From the relative values of gravity at elevated stations in Peru and at sea level, Bouguer calculated that the means of the density of the Earth was 4.7 times greater than that of the Cordilleras. For greater accuracy in the study of the internal structure of the Earth, in the 19th century, the Bouguer plate reduction came to be supplemented by corrections for irregularities of terrain and by different types of isostatic reduction. La Condamine, who, like Bouguer, was a member of the Peruvian expedition, conducted his own pendulum experiments. He experimented in 1735 at Santo Domingo, en route to South America, then at various stations in South America, and again at Paris upon his return to France. His pendulum consisted of a copper ball, suspended by a thread of pint. For experimentation, the length, initially, was about 12 feet, and the time of swing, 2 seconds, but then the length was reduced to about three feet, with time of swing one second. Earlier, when it was believed that gravity was constant over the earth, Picard and others had proposed that the length of the second's pendulum be chosen as the standard. La Condamine in 1747 revived the proposal in the form that the length of the second's pendulum at the equator be adopted as the standard of length. Subsequently, he investigated the expansion of a toit of iron from the variation in the period of his pendulum. In 1755, he observed the pendulum at Rome with Boscovich. Lacondamine's pendulum was used by other observers and finally was lost at sea on an expedition around the world. The knowledge of the pendulum acquired by the end of the 18th century was summarized in 1785 in a memoir by Boscovich. Figure 5 an apparatus for the practice measurement of the length of the pendulum devised on the basis of a series of preliminary experiments by C.M. de la Condamine, who, in the course of the French geodetic expedition to Peru in 1735, devoted a three-month sojourn on the island of Santo Domingo 
and pendulum observations by Myrain's method. In the arrangement shown here, a vertical rod of ironwood is used both as the scale and as the support for the apparatus, having at its top the brass pendulum support, and below a horizontal mirror, which served to align the apparatus vertically through visual observation of the reflection of the pointer projecting from A. The pendulum, about 37 inches long, consisted of a thread of pite, a humidity-resistant natural fiber, and a copper ball of about 6 ounces. Its exact length is determined by adjusting the micrometer so that the ball nearly touches the mirror. It would be noted that the clock pendulum would be obscured by the scale. Lecondamine seems to have determined the times of coincidence by visual observation of the occasions on which the pendulums swing parallel. The practice with the simple pendulum on the part of Picard, Bouguer, and Lecondamine, and others in France culminated in the work of Borda and Cassini in 1792 at the observation in Paris. The experiments were undertaken to determine whether or not the length of the seconds pendulum should be adopted as the standard of length by the new government of France. The bob consisted of a platinum ball, 16 and 1 sixth Paris lines in diameter, and 9,911 grains, slightly more than 17 ounces, in weight. The bob was held to a brass cup, covering about one-fifth of its surface by the interposition of a small quantity of grease. The cup with ball was hung by a fine iron wire about twelve paris feet long. The upper end of the wire was attached to a cylinder which was part of a wedge-shaped knife edge, on the upper surface of which was a stem on which a small adjustable weight was held by a screw thread. The knife edge rested on a steel plate. The weight of the knife-edge apparatus was adjusted so that the apparatus would vibrate with the same period as the pendulum. Thus, the mass of the suspending apparatus could be neglected in the theory of motion of the pendulum about the knife-edge. In the earlier suspension from jaws, there was uncertainty as to the point about which the pendulum oscillated. Borda and Cassini hung their pendulum in the front of a seconds clock and determined the time of swing by the method of coincidences. The times on the clock were observed when the clock gained or lost one complete vibration through swings on the pendulum. Suppose that the wire pendulum makes n swings, while the clock makes 2n plus 2. If the clock beats seconds exactly, the time of one complete vibration is 2 seconds, and the time of swing of the wire pendulum is t equals the value of 2n plus 2 over n equals 2 over the value of 1 plus 1 over n. An error in the time caused by uncertainty in determining the coincidence of clock and wire pendulum is reduced by employing a long interval of observation of 2n. The whole apparatus was enclosed in a box in order to exclude disturbances from currents of air. Corrections were made for buoyancy, for amplitude of swing, and for variations in length of the wire with temperature. The final result was that the length of seconds pendulum at the observatory in Paris was determined to be 440.5593 Paris lines, or 993.53 millimeters, reduced to sea level 993.85 millimeters. Some years later, the methods of border were used by other French investigators, among whom was Biot 
who used the platinum ball of Borda suspended by a copper wire 60 centimeters long. Another historic simple pendulum was the one swung by Bessel for the determination of gravity at Königsberg, 1825 through 1827. The pendulum consisted of a ball of brass, copper, or ivory, that was suspended by a fine wire, the upper end of which was wrapped and unwrapped on a horizontal cylinder of support. The pendulum was swung first from one point and then from another, exactly at Toy de Peru, higher up the bob being at the same level in each case. Bessel found the period of the vibration of the pendulum by the method of coincidences, and in order to avoid disturbances from the comparison clock, it was placed at some distance from the pendulum under observation. Bessel's experiments were significant in view of the care with which he determined the corrections. He corrected for the stiffness of the wire and for the lack of rigidity or connection between the bob and wire. The necessity for the latter correction had been pointed out by Laplace, who showed that, through the circumstances, that the pull of the wire is now on one side and now on the other side of the center of gravity, the bob acquires angular momentum about its center of gravity, which cannot be accounted for if the line of wire, and therefore the force that it exerts, always passed through the center. In addition to a correction for buoyancy of the air, considered by his predecessors, Bessel also took account of the inertia of the air, set in motion by the pendulum. The latter effect has been discovered by Dubois in 1786, but his work was unknown to Bessel. The length of the second's pendulum at Konigsberg, reduced to sea level, was found by Bessel to be 440.8179 lines. In 1835, Bessel determined the intensity of gravity at his site in Berlin, where observations later were conducted in the Imperial Office of Weights and Measures by Charles S. Pierce of the U.S. Coast Guard. End of section 26.